On the other hand, it is correctly said that in conversion, God, through the drawing of the Holy Spirit, makes willing people out of stubborn and unwilling ones. And after such conversion, in the daily exercise of repentance, the regenerate will of a person is not idle, but cooperates in all the works of the Holy Spirit, which he performs through us. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. Joining us today, the Reverend Ben Uledalen, and we're going to talk about practical godliness. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me back. Hey, always a pleasure. Zellwin, you there, bud? I am here. <laughs> I was just waiting to, to jump in, but no, things are... Things are going well over here. I guess I'll I'll begin with the usual posting. The weather has been kind of on the the hot end of things, which is good for my tomatoes, but not so good for me, I suppose. It has been helping the garden to kind of come along a little nicer than it had been before. So we've started to get some produce out of the garden, which is which is a good thing. I mean, I'm I'm glad that we're able to do that. The kids are enjoying it, and hopefully, we can continue to get a good harvest this year. What about you, Willie? Well, my garden posting is continually sadder as um, <laughs> due to um, certain USDA regulations, what changed the herbicides they have to use on the corn crops around that kind of blew over onto my garden. We do have some surprise gourds and pumpkins that are doing well. The sunflowers are okay. But, uh, you know, anytime you get strange chemicals wafted over, I mean, what I'm trying to say is uh, the tomatoes are talking now. They've become sentient. And it's only a matter of time before we are all destroyed. Yeah, so that's that's the state of my garden. Not looking so hot, but again, sunflowers are nice, and uh, we got some cucumbers coming on. But only the uh, the Indian corn of all the the corn that I planted, only the Indian corn or whatever I'm supposed to call it now, only only that is doing okay. It's you know about seven and a half foot tall, doing doing all right. So. Huh. I will spare the boring details of how a new uh, herbicide came into the... Well, it's not a new one. It's it's a long story. Just to say the government meddled in industrial agriculture and, and it hurt my garden. What I'm... <laughs> well, that, that could be an episode in itself, I think, don't you think? That's true. That's true. And I'm not <laughs> saying go full organic here necessarily, but come on, folks. I'm just saying, you know, the government knows what it's doing, obviously, right? <laughs> if you can't trust the government, who can you trust, Willie? <laughs> that's right. That's that's the oh. official position of Word Fitly Enterprises. Yeah, amen. <laughs> ben, how about you? How's the how's your green thumb? Yeah, I've got uh, my tomatoes are loving the heat as well. I think it's been either eighty or ninety degrees just about every single day this entire summer. That's what it feels like to me up here, and very little rain um, except for last night. We really got soaked with some nice rain. So um, that's a welcome change. Hopefully I don't have to go out and turn the sprinkler on in the garden anymore. But um, yeah, my tomatoes are likewise loving the heat. My Indian corn, likewise, you know, surviving and thriving. I've got a lot of lamb's quarters and plantain and um, Queen Anne's lace, which are, you know, weeds, but they're, you know, they're doing really well. And I, I just saw a meme that said that a lot of them I've got a lot of vitamins and minerals in them. So here we go. I'm not even trying. 
Um, and I've got hey, a beautiful, dude, beautiful crop of some of those, you know, off grid vitamin sources. You know, we should really do an episode on herbalists and that would be you know, herbology. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, we, we had that garden episode and it's like, even with the curse of the weeds, there's, there's still some grace there because these weeds are not always fully useless. You know, they tap into nutrients down in the ground. A lot of them are medicinal. A lot of them are edible. Um, yeah. God Stop spraying my dandelions, bro. <laughs> there, you, there you go. But um, yeah, life is, life is good and uh, nice sunny and hot day again here in central Michigan. Oh, good. Great. Great to hear. And it sounds like both of you are in fine health and we're all wearing our masks as we record. <laughs> Poofing. <laughs> yeah. Great. Now we've got to shut things down for weeks again. Thanks, Ben. Uh, ben, ben is living in Michigan, so, you know, he understands the full weight of the boot. The boot. <laughs> I was going to say of helpful government, but I guess the boot will work, too. There we go. Yeah, right. there we go. And I'm not even sure where Zelwyn lives. They've actually been incorporated as a territory of the United States yet. <laughs> Does anyone really know where I live exactly? Do you still have to like bribe a councilman in Yankton concerning <laughs> mine claims or anything? We do have a uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs about an hour away from me. So there, there you go. I love it. <laughs> do, you, do you just laugh at Dances with Wolves? <laughs> Oh, man. This is going to get wild. <laughs> yeah, we're getting ready to talk about practical godliness, but I kind of want to rag on Kevin Costner's acting for a minute. But I won't. I'm just saying the only movie where he's known as a great actor is the one where he spends half the time alone not saying much. But anyway, that's not what you came here for, folks. You came here to listen to us uh, talk about godliness, and that's what we intend to do. So in a prior episode, gentlemen, we talked at length about godliness, the biblical principle of godliness. Ben, why don't you give us a quick working definition of that, please? Sure. From that last episode, the definition of godliness that we ran with was faith in Christ and faithful conduct in this life. So there's a unity of faith and life, doctrine and practice um, right there in it. So there's just the passive forgiveness of sins that we receive from Christ, but then in, in that quote that I read from the um, formula of Concord in our opening, the will is actually recreated when a man comes to faith and that will walks in godly ways and in fact delights to do so. So for this episode, you know, we wanted to talk a little bit more about the, the practical end of that godliness. We spent a lot of time last time, you know, defining it and, and even defending it. You know, we, we found ourselves saying quite a bit in defense of godliness when, you know, this is a word that I mentioned last time is all throughout the New Testament. Our confessions have a good deal to say about it. So this time we just, we'd like to emphasize a little bit more some of the practical end of godliness and just try to be a little bit more concrete and a little bit more explicit about some of these virtues or fruits of the spirit or whatever whatever scripture yeah, it's calls a question them. of how does one cultivate this and that and that's kind of uh, something that's going to make some of our listeners a little bit nervous and and really though there's no other way that we can talk about this you know how can i grow in this way and there are practical steps that one can take obligatory mention that this is not legalism or the specter of pietism zellen settle down <laughs> You know, this is simply, look, in order to, to do something, you actually have to have steps. You actually have to have a process by which 
which you can. And so we're going to talk about questions of, of, of passivity and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, it's hard to get around just the simple, there are things Christians ought to do, and there are things that Christians ought not to do. And all of these flow from faith. All of these presuppose forgiveness by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And yet, that same Jesus who said, you know, you, who, who forgives your sins and who lives, dies, and rises again for your salvation still says, come follow me. And tells us what to do and how we ought to treat one another. And, and so it's really inescapable unless we want to limit theology merely to a book exercise, in which case do with it what you want. And let, or unless we want to limit the Christian faith into just, ha-ha, we're not Baptists, or something like that. But our audience is great, we have great listeners, and we know that you want better than that, certainly. Yeah, totally. And, and that caricature, which really isn't a caricature, it's out there in our circles. I mean, not only is that destructive to souls, but I'd, I'd say it's also incredibly boring as well. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. right. <laughs> you, you just, you end up, and I, I think we've probably all been there as pastors, whether preaching a very formulaic sermon, it's, it's, it's boring. If there's no, there's no struggle, there's no striving, no growth, I mean, why are we doing anything, right? And if we're just preaching a very flat, generic kind of law and a very flat, generic kind of gospel, I would say that's deadly to the soul and it's also incredibly boring. You know, and we might turn away from hearing the law in scripture, very practical steps. We might say, well, the Bible's not for practical steps on how to order my life, but then we'll turn around and watch Jordan Peterson tell us to make our room, you know, and, yeah. and, and make You need our to bed. wash yourself and, um, you know, you need to, you know, <laughs> get outside and, and walk around. It's 12 practical steps. <laughs> I always if, appreciate your voices, Willie, but, but go on. Yeah, what if I told you, you know, you could pick up the word of God and have a far better, you know, version of how to order your steps, you know, practically, even in this life. Right. So you're, so you're take, saying take the red pill and you'll show how far down this godliness rabbit hole goes. Is something, that what you're saying? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think in, in in this episode we'll be we'll be dealing with some of the abuses of this on both sides. There is a there is a real legalism, and of course there is a danger of antinomianism. It's really just hilarious to me that that you hear this all the time. These guys try to say, "Well, I've never seen an actual example of antinomianism." It's either you're lying or willfully blind. If you if you if you don't think so, it's out there and it, and it's insidious and. And so we're going to have to have a long talk about what it means to simply receive things, in what way is bearing fruit passive, but in what way do these things become weasel words, right, for just simply being terrible or or not giving <laughs> or not or not giving any thought to what God would have us do. And it's interesting what we'll pick and choose, right? You know, but we'll get into it a little bit more in detail. I won't uh, spoil all the fun at the beginning. So, well, I also don't want this to turn into another defending godliness kind of thing. Cause you know, we've done that, that. to some degree already. Right. That's done. And yeah. we need to do it. I mean, we need to do it a little bit again, but at the same time, you know, we shouldn't have to defend saying, you know, God wants us to be good, you know, to be in, to be in accordance with his will and that, Hey, 
here's some really good advice for maybe achieving some of these ends. Like, you know, if you're struggling with the sin of drunkenness, you know, it's not a sinful thing to say, maybe you should not have alcohol around. You know, I mean, it's just, we've, we've kind of painted ourselves into this weird corner in terms of how we look at scripture and, and trying to think through these things that when we hear these real practical kind of things, we immediately become allergic to them. And I have no idea why. Yeah, as if willful destruction of the body is uh, somehow not a sin or it's somehow a virtue. And right. that's really the issue. Like most of these people are not going to say rob your neighbor's house is a good thing. God doesn't care. But often it's it's what they take into their own bodies or taking with their own eyes that they see as not spiritually harmful. And sure. so that's where the practical advice comes. How do we deal with this within ourselves? Because ultimately you can't control what your neighbor does. And the point of godliness or sanctification is <laughs> not to look at your neighbor and count their sins or their little peccadilloes or, or count their fruit as it were. That's not the point. We're asking you to think about your own state and our own need for repentance and our own need to ask God to um, make us more in accord with his will. And so, yeah, it's introspection, which again, I know is apparently a bad thing too. But it's not all bad. See, it's always a case of abuses. This is what people don't understand. When when we say oftentimes that introspection can be bad, it's because in excess it can be. If you're so focused on yourself that you don't look to Christ, then yes, that is a problem. But that doesn't mean that a true analysis of your own sinfulness is bad. I mean, otherwise, that confession that you probably say every Sunday just becomes hollow, doesn't it? Completely meaningless. Yeah, yeah, I, a poor, miserable sinner. Well, do you believe that? I hope you do. And it's not just a thing of, I've been born in sin. You're saying, I'm a poor, miserable sinner because I'm sinning now. I'm, I'm an active sinner. I need forgiveness. And and the only way you can truly say that is if you look at yourself in the mirror of God's Word. Well, Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, you know, let a person examine himself. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah, but what, is, what do the confessions say, Zelwyn? <laughs> no, they I'm, say the I'm same thing. The they say spot, the yeah. same thing, though. That's what's so funny is like the confessions are not saying things that, uh, that aren't in accord with Scripture regarding this. And yet, you know, we like to pick and choose that, too. The daily reminder that the Heidelberg disputations are not in the confessions. Amen. Neither, <laughs> not, neither are certain antinomian writings. Just throwing it out there, but... Well, can we take a look at Galatians chapter 5 here <laughs> briefly? Yeah. You know, so starting, I guess, Galatians 5.13, this is, I think this is a good place to, to have this conversation. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So first of all, just right there, we, we have freedom in Christ, we have freedom in faith, uh, our salvation is a free gift, and yet that freedom is not a freedom of anarchy. It's not a freedom of destruction, but it's actually, you know, it's a freedom to do the right thing. It's a freedom to walk in love with our fellow Christians. It's a freedom to be helpful, a freedom to be fruitful, a freedom to really actually deny ourselves and, and count ourselves last and lowest and, and serve, mm. serve one another and strive for the benefit of the neighbor. Uh, I think that's right. just a beautiful verse right there. That that freedom is a it's a freedom to be more Christ like and to delight in that. 
you have the language of Paul also in Romans with that language of freedom. You know, when he was saying that when we were enslaved to sin, enslaved to sin, we were free in regards to righteousness. You know that we that part had no control over us. But now that we have been brought over into righteousness, we have become slaves of righteousness and free in regards to sin. So I mean, it's and in a sense, you know, you're dealing with this this reality that as Christians. We are not free to just do whatever we want. We, in a sense, have become servants of Christ, you know, servants of the living God, and we are called to do his will. And right. the, the freedom that, that Paul is speaking against there in Galatians is this idea of, oh, well, you know, I can do whatever I want because I've been set free from sin. Right. And, and this freedom is always about love for your brothers. So by this, all men shall know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another, as we read in John 13. And love is always sacrificial, in a way, almost always sacrificial. You can have tough love that's a little bit not, but love (laughs) is often giving up something for the sake of your brother, whoever that is. Then, by definition, the Christian faith cannot be simply about indulgence, indulging of the flesh and couching it as, well, it's just first article gifts from God, so I can do whatever, I can enjoy whatever to excess. If our Lord calls us to love one another, and if this love is how people will know that we follow him, then our lives will look rather sacrificial. And it's often done in, of course, very, um, well, I want to say obvious ways, but perhaps not so obvious, like uh, parents and what they give up to raise their children in the faith and what uh, Christian children have to give up because they they live different lives from that of the world. So it is a giving up of the things of the world. It's a giving up of sometimes um, uh, monetary things and, and trinkets and toys for the sake of, of, you know, raising up godly children or or loving your spouse, that sort of thing. So love entails sacrifice, and sacrifice entails um, doing things very differently from what the world would call us to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, as as Paul goes on to say there in Galatians 5, you know, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just that, that we are serving one another, that we are loving one another. Godliness in that sense is not just this purely introspective, I'm just doing this all because, you know, I'm trying to gaze at my own belly button sort of thing, which I suppose is the the uh, character it's turned into, but it really is. I think really we call is, that uh, navel-gazing here in America. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> I call it what I want. I'm free in the gospel to call it what I want. <laughs> but I mean, just that in, in seeking godliness and pursuing godliness also in our own lives, we are showing love not only toward God, but also toward other people. And this kind of self-indulgent, I can do what I want because first article gifts kind of a thing, really is a kind of selfishness that we are called away from as Christians, right? Sure. Amen. Well, hey, we are at our first break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken. A Word Fitly Spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The Word, front and center, in doctrine, in history, in life. That's the mission of A Word Fitly Spoken. We've got more on the way. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills, here with Ben Uladolin, and of always my right hand, the Reverend Zelwyn Heidi, talking about practical godliness. Well, guys, let's um, pick. Let's take Galatians back up again. And uh, Ben, uh, let's talk about some concrete examples here. Sure. So Galatians 5, 19 and following, we hear about the works of the flesh, you know, the opposite of, of godliness. Uh, now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned those before you that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we ended the last segment talking about love and and love for the neighbor. And, And right here now, Paul gets even more concrete about what a lack of love you know, for the neighbor might look like, what lack of love for the Christian might look like. So just some of the things in that list there, like anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. So why are those things ungodly? Why are those things the works of the flesh? Well, you know, they're, they're selfish, for one. They're just about, you know, me and my dreams, my ideas, my wishes at the expense of my brother. And and so these things tear down the body of Christ, and you know they're 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 poisonous, right? These things are um, it, as, as he ends. It's it's evident that uh, what these works of the flesh are, and it's evident, you know, that they're that they're bad, that they're working against godliness and working against Christian love. So we we should not walk in them. Well, and I, I think the, the thing to emphasize here, too, is that walking in the works of the flesh is evidence that we are not walking with the Spirit. I mean, that's kind of Paul's point a little, little bit earlier on here in Galatians chapter 5. To be doing these things, which unfortunately happens so very often, means that we are not walking in a way that God would have us go. And so to be, you know, sexually immoral, for example, or to be impure, or to be sensual in our passions. These things are showing that we are acting in a way no different from the way that we were before. You know, we are, in fact, going back to our former ungodliness, which is contrary to what we are, you know, as called Christians, right? Yeah, and isn't that part of the definition of sensuality? It's kind of uh, what, like, an you know, the word sensual is in there in the English. It's an obsession maybe with, with physical things, Right. John in one of the Johannine epistles talks about the the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Right. One other that I'm missing there. So it, you know, it's an obsession with this world. You know, not that we have a division between soul and spirit or anything, but nonetheless, you know, these these are excesses of maybe worldly comforts, worldly pleasures, worldly ideas. Well, and I mean, and and how how often do we see this kind of thinking? Unfortunately. You know, this this idea of being completely hedonistic in our in our actions, you know, kind of just seeking pleasures above all things, you know, that I'm more concerned with my own comfort, for example, than I am with being godly. I mean, I unfortunately, I think that happens far more often than we'd like to admit. Well, this is why the church had the tradition of discipline and fasting. This is also why the church calendar actually exists. 
It's not to say, it's not only to simply say, see, we're in lockstep with the historic church, and you are, if you use the one year, but, uh, no, now I've (laughs) triggered everybody. No, but it's not simply to say, because this is how we did it. Part and parcel of the church calendar were feast days and fast days. It was about disciplining the flesh and glorifying God. Now think about that, that the whole point, and we've done episodes on Christian time before, but the point of it was, I mean, to have dedicated fast days so that the flesh might be disciplined. Right. And and we've d- kind of divorced the conduct and discipline of the liturgical life. You know, we've, we've divorced that aspect from the liturgical life in a lot of modern Lutheranism because we don't think of it in that way. We think of ourselves as we're liturgical for many good reasons, but we forget that the whole point of the church calendar is to remember the great things of God, the great people that God has risen up, of course, but also it's a means by which we are supposed to avoid falling into the things that Galatians is talking about. Because you have to discipline yourself in order to avoid those things. So you have to suffer some deprivation, because otherwise it just becomes a hedonistic life, a life of excess. Right. I think a good illustration of sensuality would just be a lot of marketing and and advertising campaigns. You know, treat yourself, right? You deserve it. Sure. Or the the, the 1990s, like, herbal essence commercials, you know, where the the woman is... (laughs) I you forgot know, about those. Put, putting putting shampoo in her hair and just really loving the experience, you know, sensuality, right. right? It's just an obsession with the self and personal pleasure. And here we have an entire consumer society built around that, you know, just, just consume, consume, consume until you consume the very things that make life livable and enjoyable. Yeah. So there, there, you know, there are, th- those are the extremes of sensuality, but I would say that we, we all probably struggle with that sensuality. I mean, who doesn't want a little bit of comfort or maybe a little bit of a nice distraction, yeah. you know, come home in the evening and, and, you know, watch TV or, or flip through the news feed or something. So, you know, there's, there's a sp- inherently wrong, but there's a spectrum. Right. And that's, that's what they're going to throw at us. What they're going to throw at us first is they're going to say, oh, so you think that I can't enjoy insert whatever. No, you can enjoy a lot of things. It'd be fine. You can enjoy a, a good bourbon. You can enjoy, I don't know, three, four, five hot dogs, I guess, if you want. You can do that, just not in excess. Although I think I've, that already implies excess. You just can't, in, but there are certain things that you can't enjoy. Okay. And you, so, and, yeah. And yeah. you ought to enjoy it in thankfulness to God as well. In thankfulness to God. It, it's yeah. not just an absent-minded well, God has blessed me so much with these first article gifts, therefore I can stuff my face. But it's, you know, right. in, in, in humble thanksgiving, to thank you, Lord, for this nice opportunity to just kick back and relax. Do it with, you know, do it with thankfulness. Bringing, bringing all things, all areas of life, all areas of our mind, all areas of our passions or emotions or whatever. Bringing all of those things in subjection to Jesus Christ. Right. Not, you know, not merely consuming them and experiencing them just for their own sake or just for our and, own And this sake. is why delayed gratification is a Christian idea, because you do appreciate things more if the gratification is delayed. And this is why, although Lord knows I am not good at this at all, fasting is good. because it's. And this is very easily demonstrated, though. In a very, I'm going to use a worldly and practical way, but like you ever skip breakfast, skip lunch, dinner always tastes better on days like that, right? Right. And so if you do delay this, I mean, everything is sweeter after having fasted from it. Everything tastes better. 
so you come to appreciate it more. You know, to feel the pangs of hunger and to know that, you know, God, uh, it makes you gr- more greatly appreciate God's gracious provision for you. Yeah, and then and then hungering and thirsting for him as well, you know, not yeah. merely for the pleasure. Absolutely. Not uh, merely, man does yeah. not, man yeah, does not exactly. live by bread alone. Um, right. You know, there's, there's a great hymn, Be Still My Soul. You know, there's a line in there, something like, your Jesus can repay from his own fullness all that right. he takes away. And uh, you so know, that, the Lord, the I love with all my heart, Jesus, priceless treasure, right? It's, yeah. it's there in all of our and, and I think this is something that we're scared of because it's almost ethereal. And so we have so connected pleasure with something physical. So a delicious steak is a good thing, but that in and of itself is not going to satisfy in the same way that God will. So can we be satisfied apart from food, apart from drink? Can we be satisfied just with God? And that's what a discipline-like fasting calls us to do. And I'm using, I don't want to use fasting in a very general sense, because I mean abstaining from lots of things. You know, there we are. Uh, this is, I discipline my body, as, as Paul says. And why does he discipline? Guys, can you remind the audience? <laughs> you, you want you to? To pummel it and keep it a slave, and make it a slave? Is that what you're getting at right. here? Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Paul is saying that he, that he enters into these things that he might not find himself disqualified. disqualified. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul doesn't want to find himself disqualified. Now think about that. He says, I discipline my body and I make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, how many of you out there think about that? That you might that you may well find yourself disqualified. What does that mean? Well, I mean, it's just, just that idea that after telling others this is what God would have you do. You know, you who <laughs> you who preach this, do you rob temples kind of a thing? Right. And I, and I should say that I didn't for once use King James there because I'm pretty sure the King James says, like, might not find myself a castaway. Mm. Or sure. that when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Something Something to think about. Like, it's almost as if Paul, it's almost as if the Bible is saying that that this is necessary. That this is that this is essential to um, the Christian life. One of the older, one of the older translations of the Catechism under the Sixth Commandment didn't it say something about a sexually chaste and disciplined life? Am I right there? Yeah, it just chaste, just yeah. chaste, not disciplined. Yeah. Chaste. Yeah. No, no, no. It, there was no sexually about it. It was just chaste. It was just chaste and disciplined. Yeah. The new one is kind of vague, right? I mean, it's just sexually pure and decent. What, what does that even mean? That's vague. You know, that right. give me give me some red blooded language. Uh, uh, a chaste and disciplined life. Now I can work with that. And I tell my confirmands, this is the language of sports or maybe of dance, right? You know, you might have girls in your in your confirmation class who are dancers or, or boys who are athletes. And and I say, do you need to be disciplined to be a dancer or to be an athlete? Well, yeah. What does that look like? Does that just have to do with playing the game and having the right intentions? No. Does that just have to do with your life on the field? No, you got to eat right. You got to keep your grades up. So, you know, and then I apply that to the sexual life as well. So that means saying yes to certain things and saying no to others, right? Discipline, right? Guarding, guarding something, uh, guarding that chastity, I guess. Doing that in very concrete ways by saying, I'm not going to listen to this kind of music. I'm not going to put myself in this situation you know, unsupervised and attempting situation with a member of the opposite sex. Very practical ways, right? That we can, rather than sexually pure and decent, 
chaste and disciplined. <laughs> I think that gives us a lot more to work with. Well, I mean, since since we're kind of focusing on questions of self-control at the moment, you know, also later in the list, you have issues of like drunkenness and orgies. Orgies, not in a sexual sense, which is the way that we often use that word nowadays, but orgies in, the, in that kind of wild, unbridled license, you know, that sense of where I just completely cut loose and do whatever I want to do. I'm just totally in it for the pleasure, which is, you know, kind of what drunkenness is doing as well, that I'm abusing the things that God has given to me. You know, I mean, what we see here is this pattern uh, going throughout the whole works of the flesh of just basically giving into that kind of desire, that kind of, I guess, license, if you want to call it that, that is played out in these very concrete ways, right? We just going to ignore uh, witchery here or what? Forget it. Willie. Let's hear it. You're the Puritan. <laughs> Shall not suffer a witch to live. The Bible. It's in the Bible. But, <laughs> you know, but I think in many ways, though, all of these uh, can apply here. And I'm not just saying, uh-oh, Ethel checked her horoscope in the newspaper today you know, or something like that. But there is a superstitiousness that creeps up on both sides of this debate, too. And you see it in in kind of silly ways, right? Like, like and share this meme if you love Jesus. Or, you know, Pastor, uh, I don't think God's going to bless me if I don't do X. There is kind of a, uh, a superstitiousness that we still, that we, uh, that we deal with. And then on the other end, there's the idea that nothing, and this is something we've touched on several times already, that somehow nothing is really spiritually harmful. Right. Actually, it turns out lots of things are, like bad theology, like antinomianism is spiritually harmful. Bumper sticker theology and platitude theology, spiritually harmful. And while it's not one-to-one witchcraft, it really uh, kind of teeters on it. You know, <laughs> like when it just becomes sloganeering, like they, like they say these little pithy slogans, you know, like it's a mantra. As though it works ex opera operata, right? We're supposed to be against <laughs> right. that. If you just say the magic, you say the magic cliche <laughs> in your sermon, it's, it, it's worked. And, and it's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, we're all, mag- you know, insert Luther quote. And we're good, right? About farts and burps and yeah, right. And that sort of thing. Yeah. There's a new one making the rounds that's not fit for the, for most, for public uh, podcasts. <laughs> so yeah, we can, it, this is nothing new under the sun here. And of course, I mean, there's probably actual w- real witchcraft practiced by many professing Christians too, which is not to make, to make light of that at all. Well, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to here what in the ESV is translated as sorcery. Correct. Yes. Right. Witchery, just a much better word. It is a better word. Yeah, um, we need to bring it back. <laughs> well, the, the only reason I, I bring that up is because that's actually an interesting word. In the original, if I'm not mistaken, that's pharmakeia. Pharmakeia, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, I was going to, you know, when we finally get to Revelation, we'll talk about the pharmakeia quite a bit. But yeah, yeah, Zelman, why don't you unpack that word for us? Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> Where we get the word pharmacy from. The pharmacia has to do with using like actual substances in a way like not intended by God. I mean, so I mean, we've we've kind of expanded that in English to mean just using substances for any kind of purpose, which is why we use it in a beneficial sense and say like a pharmacy or where we get our drugs from. But I think when we're talking about pharmacia and the way that Paul is using it here, it really does have the sense of abusing things, especially for you know, these kind of evil ends. And we see that, for example, even with something as simple as health, 
You see in the Old Testament where some of the kings of Israel are condemned because they seek medical help without seeking the Lord. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's this idea of, you know, where is our trust? Are we putting it into these these things, these physical things, and maybe even these kind of, I don't know how you want to put it, like these things that we think are going to help us, when in fact it is the Lord who gives us this help? I mean, witchery, in that sense, has a very broad application, not just in the sense of magic in the way that we usually define it. Right. But I mean, it's interesting. It goes from Asilgeia to um, idolatria, then to pharmakia. So it right. goes from sensuality to idolatry to sorcery, then to, you know, ekthra, which is enmity, strife, jealousy. So I don't think that these things are listed this way unintentionally. Sure. So from, from impurity to sensuality begets idolatry, which begets sorcery, then enmity, strife, jealousy, all of this kind of thing. Right. It's all very I, interesting. Yeah. Idolatry, you know, trusting in something other than God, leading to that trusting in the creature above God. You right. know, the, the using this medicine, for example, or using these substances, for example, as a po- as a way of seeking some beneficial end, which yeah. can only come from God. And this is this is something that I mean, even on a personal end for me, I'm not saying that certain people don't need certain drugs. Of course not, you know. And of certain people not. have yeah. certain imbalances, but there is a temptation to say, okay, you're depressed. And this is even among Christian counselors. Let's not look at perhaps a spiritual problem here. Let's immediately put you on the magic pills right, and, and, and get you into some kind of secular therapy and fix you. Now, some people do need that, but there's very little discussion often of why might the Christian be depressed? What, what are you doing in your life that's causing this? Yeah, there, there's a really great book by a, a gentleman. Uh, his last name is Welch. I, I think he's reformed, but it's called Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. And he connects, you know, a lot of these issues, emotional problems, mental health problems, addictions to worship. To idolatry. He says that they are idolatries. You're, as you guys have been saying here, you're trusting in a created thing rather than God, but also you're probably, um, you know, you're loving created things more than you're loving the creator. That's the Romans 1 definition of idolatry. And what else do you see in Romans 1? You see sexual immorality. You know, you see the spectrum there where at the very bottom of the spiral is what? You know, homosexuality and, and, and viciousness and, and all of this. And so in this book, he talks about how, how the Christian pastor ought to ask these very spiritual questions, right? What, what are you worshiping? Where is your heart? And, and how is that leading you to pain and to dysfunction in your life? Rather than just kind of, well, remember your baptism and you're forgiven, you know, actually calling you know, for real repentance, for real idols in their lives, and then drawing them into a closer walk with the Lord. Uh, so yeah, yeah you know, am- amen to everything you were saying there. Yeah, because these things are, truly are destructive. And, you know, the new man knows this. I think this is why Christians are depressed, is because they do have the the fire of the Holy Spirit in them, although sometimes it's a bit of a dampened wick, right? <laughs> but <laughs> the Spirit is aggrieved by these things. And oftentimes it's your conscience actually trying to tell you something is wrong. This is why you're miserable. You know, cast this out of your life. Ask God to take it away from you. And and this is not Pentecostal. This is not Pentecostalism or anything. This is this is real. This is real. Biblical faith. Yeah, biblical faith. Lord, take this away from me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's 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 a prayer that only a Christian can pray. That's a prayer that only the converted can pray. 
this is this is something we need you know when i when i do feel miserable now the lord could leave us in our misery in his own providence and again some people do need um, other kinds of therapy or other kinds of of help we understand that but does everyone need that is that always is that really the number one place a christian should turn to is uh, is the pharmacy or or, or, to, or to turn there so quickly right so quickly I mean, yeah yeah exactly exactly that's what i mean yeah i mean i mean and like i said you know medicine is a good gift of god and it is something that he commends to us i mean you even have paul saying you know take a little wine for the sake of your stomach so i mean this is not an anti-medicinal kind of position at all but right. it is a question of are we approaching issues of sickness for example immediately with a oh well i need a vaccine or i need a you know some kind of medicine to help me rather than saying you know lord you know help me kind of a thing. Right. It's like approaching drunkenness in this way. You wake up every day hungover. And so your first remedy is to pop seven or eight ibuprofen and drink a good amount of water to knock it out. <laughs> but 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 not doing the thing you did the night before doesn't really enter into the thinking, you know. Right. Exactly. So, well, hey, we're at our second break. Uh, we're going to continue Galatians posting after this because we're going to get into strife and dissensions and factions. It's going to be fun, guys. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The Word of God is the center of our faith life. Join us every Thursday for a new podcast available on iTunes and your favorite podcasting app. Follow us on Twitter at WordFitly. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash WordFitly. And check out our website, wordfitlyspoken.org. We thank you for listening and stay tuned for more WordFitly Spoken. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Word Fitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelwyn Heidi and Ben Uledon talking about, well, I was going to say the fruits of the Spirit, but we've not got there yet. We're talking about practical godliness. Um, we've spent the last segment um, talking about the things that ought to be avoided, and we still have a couple of those that are very important for us today that we need to talk about, and then we're going to uh, to get into the fruits of the Spirit, what what that means, how to cultivate them if at all possible, questions of passivity, this, that, and the other all the things that you tune in and pay the exorbitant subscription fees to hear. So <laughs> now uh, we talked about um, idolatry, sorcery, and now we're going to get into, and I'm just going to go through them quick. Let's kind of take them all kind of together guys. Cause they're related enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, contentions, dissensions, factions, and envyings. Now these things I believe are very common. You know, if people aren't practicing, you know, Ancient Greek magic, I think envying and dissension and related sins are certainly something that we can, you know, identify with in the current year. I mean, it really is just a part of being in the flesh, like we say here, but it is something that I think we struggle with a great deal in our age, especially in an age in which, you know, digitally speaking, we treat each other 
in fairly terrible ways. Now, I don't mean Absolutely. this as a kind of a, you know, my eighth commandment kind of thing that you often hear going on. I really do mean this as the the bitterness that that characterizes internet discussion, right? Absolutely. You know, it is we don't want to hear what our opponents have to say. Uh, we often speak around one another and it's just there's a lot of vitriol going around. And on top of that too, you have you know, we live in the age of the celebrity pastor and I mean, and I suppose we've always had that to one degree or another, but now Anyone can set up a little bit of fiefdom. And so envy begets vainglory. And envy can also beget uh, ambition, the sin of ambition. So if I can just become high-ranking ex-official, I can fix whatever is wrong with our synod denomination or church, right? Right. And a lot of and a lot of what is really just envy or pride is disguised as uh, zeal for right doctrine or, or zeal for the church. And it's a great temptation that pastors fall into. And pastors can look at another congregation and see that it's large and quote-unquote successful and begin to become jealous and say, okay, but it's only big because it's a bunch of false teachers over there. They're feeding the goats, which, to be fair, there's there's some truth happen. in that. It does happen. There is some, some truth in there. But it's easy to just fall into just bitterness and spitefulness and jealousy, enmity. And so we have to guard ourselves, especially in the digital age. In the age of the selfie, the pastor must be very careful, in my opinion. No, I, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that, especially because the selfie mentality or even uh, social media, for that matter, very easily fosters this kind of look-at-me attitude. I mean, yeah. it, and it's intentionally designed to be that way, you know? And so, I mean, this this idea of, the internet or especially Facebook causing depression because we see the things that are going on with our friends and this, and their carefully curated kind of a profile. You know, I mean, I really do think that we have going on here and a very strong working example of what Paul is talking about here. You know, mm -hmm. this, this idea that if you just pay attention to me or look at how great I'm doing or, you know, look at me kind of a thing, I really do think is going to create more problems than, than one might, suspect. Yeah, I, I believe uh, that social media is just not good for us as I hypocritically host a podcast that is largely um, broadcast through it. <laughs> <clears throat> but it has become an essential uh, mode of communication. But if it was only that, you know, I, I, like the old message boards were not quite as insidious as, <laughs> as social media because the reach was not so broad. And I, and I won't mention the chans here on this podcast <laughs> or anything. But it's 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 very troubling. It's very troubling. Um, and something that could, in theory, be used for good has really just been used to kind of isolate us and to make us into just a bunch of mean girls, <laughs> if, if I'm being honest here. And, and it's not good. And so, yes, we do want to be zealous for the truth, but we need to make sure that our zeal and our righteous anger is truly that. And it's not merely a cover for just being vicious and just being cruel because cruelty is something that comes so naturally to man ever since Cain right. and Abel. And, and that right, to, even that righteous anger has a shelf life, right? What is, what does scripture yeah. say? Do not let the sun go down right. on that anger. Yeah. And you know, you, you got to forgive. You have to forgive. It is not optional for Christians. We have to forgive. There is a time to become angry. There is a time to be forceful. 
you know, there, there is a time to, to be sharp, perhaps, but we can't hold grudges. We can't continually just vilify everyone for everything. We have to be responsible in our discourse and in our words. And so there's some, some practical advice there. Easier said than done. None of us are perfect at it. You know, some of us are more are more prone to a fiery disposition. Some of us are always even keeled like uh, our brother Zelwyn here. Uh, unflappable, <laughs> one might say. And and that's just the way it is. So so there, but but envy, strife, and other things do lead to divisions, which we've seen in the church. And so instead of uniting around what the Bible says, even even among the confessional side of Lutheranism, we are seeing divisions like we haven't seen before. In the last decade, we've seen a factionalization even of confessional Lutheranism with everybody taking that C word for themselves. Right. I think especially you'll see within, let's just say, confessional Lutheranism, a desire to be, how do you want to say, exceptionally confessional, you know, to be seen as being like the epitome of what it means to be confessional. And Mm -hmm. so you have this continual, you know, kind of one-upmanship with confessionalism. Purity spiraling. Yeah, really, it really is. I mean, whether it be in my practices and the things that I do, I'm going to show how confessional I am or how liturgical I am, or whether it be, I mean, the, the, the doctrines, which I believe as a way of, especially when it comes to things that either, you know, have very little bearing or have, you know, you, you make more out of them than they really need to be. It's just this idea of, I'm going to show you just how confessional I am, and we kind of have to make that into a, if you're not on my side, then you really can't claim this title for yourself. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, just these, and, it, and it manifests itself in, in various ways, depending upon the faction. You know, right. so I'm, I'm less pious than you, therefore I understand the confessions better, right? Right. And uh, and then uh, just a couple minutes ago, you were you know thinly veiling your attacks on me and my chasubles and bowing. I understand. <laughs> what, I understand that, <laughs> and that's fine. You know, as I yeah. wear one too. But that's right. Yeah, yeah. Zelwyn does now wear a chasuble, folks. You heard it here first. You might not have. Well, we know you're all watching his videos, but it's particularly uh, pleasing for me on Sunday mornings when he posts his YouTube uh, videos to see him in a chasuble. <laughs> It is. And it's it's kind of ironic. But the but I mean, my point is, is that like, when you deal with issues of, I mean, for example, something that's come up a lot lately has been the question of intuitu fidei has been on. I'm I'm just being real concrete now here, because I think we need to be. And, and really, some people, I think, holding to this position simply because they regard it as the more confessional, more historical position not because of any like doctrinal merits that it might have, but simply because Gerhard held to it or something like that, mm-hmm. which I think is a very dangerous thing to do because it really is stirring up strife simply for the sake of this purity spiraling, spiraling, as you said, Ben, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a good example. So yeah, I mean, that's what we end up with. We just, you know, Divide, divide, divide. I mean, and there is, we, there, there needs to be a division when false doctrine is is concerned, of course, and and wicked practices are tolerated. There is a time where division is. I mean, there must be divisions among you. The Bible says, so that's fine. But we're talking about intentionally driving a wedge, you know, for for every little reason, and dangerous place to find ourselves. So, 
that said, we've we've exhausted uh, these sins at least for the purposes of this episode. So we've got ten minis or so left. Let's uh, let's take a look at the fruits of the spirit. Let's end on a positive note. What God wants us to do, what the Church of Christ should look like, what the Christian life should look like, and it's not just don't smoke, don't chew, don't girl go with girls who do. <laughs> It's actually a very beautiful thing, although imperfect. We are sinners. We are fallen. But when you do see Christian love and when you do see the fruits of the Spirit evident um, in the church, it is truly a, an inspiring thing. So, uh, Ben, take us take us through the Yeah, the so it's just to read some of those verses, um, 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So all those passions and sensuality and divisions and strife and and sorcery and all those things we talked about, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with, with all of those passions and desires. And why don't we just go on to 25? If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So again, there's, there's a freedom to do the right thing there. There's, there's a freedom to, to be Christ-like and for the actual living faith within us to shine forth in, in these ways, to produce these, uh, to produce these fruits. Again, love, summarizing the law and summarizing a lot of these fruits and a lot of these virtues, you know, looking out for the genuine interest of the neighbor. And, and so in in order to love my neighbor, there's things I'm going to refrain from doing, like envying, like partaking in unnecessary division and rivalry and dissension. And then there's going to be other things I will positively do in order to love my neighbor, forgiving him, overlooking things, being kind to him. And you can see then how this all overflows into these other things, you know, joy and peace. If, if you're not forgiving and if you're constantly focused on how your brother has sinned against you, or if you're constantly, you know, purity spiraling on the internet, how much joy are you really going to have? You know, you're just sitting there marinating in negativity, right? But if you can forgive, if you can overlook some of these things, you're going to have joy, you're going to have peace. You know, I think the the first step to cultivating this kind of thing is to one consider our Lord Jesus Christ both in his in what he did for us and of course in the example that he calls us to follow. But first and foremost, remembering that we too are sinners and that we are in need of forgiveness. So that breathes humility. That I should not be judging my neighbor so on and so forth. I should not be judging my neighbor apart from righteous judgment when necessary. If we truly see ourselves as sinners, that is not a call to haughtiness, to say, aha, I see myself as a sinner, but I get the gospel, and you don't, right? I understand the gospel, and you don't. It is, I am a sinner, and so I need to show love, charity, and humility to my neighbor, because this is what Christ has shown to me. Now, Christ, of course, rebukes those who need rebuke, but he also has a gentle word for those who need it, and Christ is mercy overflowing. And so we too must show that mercy. Again, this goes back to forgiveness. This is what we are called to do because this is what we have received. And so we need to be careful about what we measure out because with that same standard, God is going to judge us. 
the twin images that Paul uses here are, I think, quite instructive for this, especially what you're talking about with regards to the, you know, what it means to be in Christ and to be, you know, be doing all of these things. Because the, the twin images that he uses in 24 and 25 is being crucified with Christ and then being in step with the Spirit, you know, walking with the Spirit. And I think that's very helpful for us for understanding this, because in the first place, to be crucified with Christ means that we have, in a sense, you know, become, you know, we have died with him, that all of these old things which once defined us and which should no longer define us, they have been put to death through what Jesus has done in us. And so to be crucified in that sense, to undergo a kind of suffering, I mean, it certainly shows that there is, this is not going to be easy right? We don't want to think of the fruits of the Spirit as something like we would say, oh, well, you know, it's easy as ABC, you just got to do this, you know, one, two, three kind of thing, and you've got it. No, the fruits of the Spirit is something that will come only through self-denial, that will only come through bearing the cross, that will only come through being crucified with Jesus. But then on the other image that Paul is using here with being in step with the Spirit, you know, we are marching with him, we are in his army, so to speak, you know, because that's the language that Paul is using that we become like God having died to ourselves and therefore we are now you know acting like him we are walking with him just as Enoch did of old and Noah and you know all of the other great saints as well because to walk with God in that sense means to be doing what he is doing and it's hard to kick against the goads too Right. You know, to state what you said negatively uh, as well you, you know <laughs> you're going <laughs> to yeah that's you're not going to have a good time I'm just trying to be positive about it. Right, this and thing, I'm, I'm so. bringing it back around to the negative. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it, it really it really is this this imagery, like you say, of becoming like Jesus, of bearing the image of the Son, of you know being the the people that Christ has called us to be, which is a way of suffering, which is a way of self denial, but which will ultimately bear abundant fruit, not only in this life but in the life to come. Right. And this is uh, where I have to have my obligatory plug for reading the Bible and for prayer. (laughs) Um, But I also do want to emphasize that this also comes from attending Sunday service, hallowing the Sabbath day, and receiving the sacrament. I'm on a sacrament post here, Zelwyn, calm down. But this is... (laughs) I'm all for it. Go for it. (laughs) No, this this is not just some, like, negotiable thing. This is something that we, that we receive reverently with discernment, so that we might find our sins forgiven and our faith strengthened. And so, that said, uh, the, the temptation of the flesh is, well, on Sunday morning, I'm going to sleep in, I'll get the sacrament next week, or I'll hear the word next week, right? No. I'll watch on YouTube. I'll watch it on YouTube. It's not the same. <laughs> it really, I understand, and this is, again, shut-ins, some people can't make it, not to make light of that situation. But if you're using, hey, it's on the YouTube, I don't have to go as your only excuse, then you're going to have a bad time, to quote uh, Ben. (laughs) So you need to be diligent. Um, Sundays need to be important. And I can't stress this enough. Don't schedule other activities on Sunday morning, please. Your kid's soccer is not as important as the medicine of immortality. Your whatever it is, you know, if you can at all avoid it, if you can at all avoid it, I mean, you know, maybe, hey, you have to work, whatever. But if you can at all avoid it, then do do so and go to church and receive Christ's body and blood, hear his word, 
confess your sins, confess the creed together with your brothers and sisters, because only truly through living in community together, in communion with one another, and of course, in the communion of our Lord that he has established, uh, do we really and truly cultivate these things. Because at the heart of love is, of course, loving God and loving your neighbor, and that can only happen in community. And so to echo back what we were saying about social media and other things, it draws you into isolation too much. Now, we, we said earlier that introspection is good, but isolation is not. Isolation is bad. God wants you to live in and around real humans so you can see them for the imperfect creatures that they are. You can see yourself for the sinner that, that you are. And then through this, the Spirit works through the Word um, in order to bring about these fruits. So the church is essential. Sunday is essential. Uh, that Sunday service is just of utmost importance. Um, sorry, sorry, guys, had to obligate. So go to church is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> go on, get. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's that's good advice right there. Right, <laughs> y'all, y'all, go on, get out of here. Right. Get get you to church, but no, I, I mean, your point's well taken, Willie, and I, and I think that it really needs to be emphasized, you know, over and over again that these things are. God ordains these things for us for a reason. You know, we don't want to think of the word as optional. We don't want to think of prayer as optional. We don't want to think of worship as optional or the sacrament as optional because God has ordained them for our good. And if God himself has given them to us, you know, why would we want to avoid them? I know. I mean, I, it, at the risk of sounding legalistic, I understand, but at the same, you know, but in reality, you know, what's the purpose of the sacrament if not to receive the forgiveness of sins? Is it just there so you can get it next week? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's real true purposes for this, and it's for our spiritual good. And dare I say spiritual improvement. <laughs> spiritual <Yeah>. renewal, anyway. <laughs> well, uh, guys, any last words as we wrap up this episode? Ben? I think that that covers it pretty well for me. I mean, you know, Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and if some of these fruits of the spirit or mortifications of the flesh might seem burdensome, well, it, it's it's the easy burden of Christ, and it's the burden that that He bears along with us. That yoke, you know, that that joins us to Christ, just like two you know two oxen uh, working together. I mean, that's that's what this really is. We, uh, he's the one truly doing the heavy lifting, um, and in the end, it's it's for our benefit. Just to echo what you said, for our good. It's an easy burden. And it's and it's a light right. yoke. Zellin? Yeah. If if you think things are, are rough now and if bearing the if and walking with the spirit is rough, well, we are looking forward to a far greater glory than anything that we suffer now. That's in the Bible too. <laughs> that is. Well, thank you very much, guys. Ben, uh, always a pleasure. We'll have you back on very soon if you're up for it. Sounds good. All right. Well, this has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi and Ben Uledalen. God love you and God bless. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart.